Welcome back to the show. I'm Mike Shredder. I'm glad you guys can join the Shred Takes podcast show on this great Tuesday. Hope you guys are all doing well. Today, I'm going to break down a few things that I wanted to get into. One, going into the fact of what LeBron's comments on the road tripping uh, podcast last night with Kyrie, kind of talking about the whole Clippers thing. I, I think, he, you know, for people who don't really know LeBron the person as much, I think that podcast is really good to see who he really is. And I think that really did a good job of there. But I'm going to break that down. I'll break down James Harden going to a party without a mask on, you know, talking about what the different commentators are saying about that, you know, why it's such a big story, what it leads to, all that kind of stuff. I'm going to talk about the Wizards. And specifically, I'm going to talk about how the fact that Russell Westbrook is getting there two hours before practice, how he's setting a tone, how he's setting an intensity with this team, and where I think that can lead. Then I'm also going to break down the NFL but and just talk a little bit about that. But before I get into all of that, I'm going to break down my top 10 football teams this week in the NFL based on the games I've seen so far. So I'm going to break down the kind of stuff that I'm going to give you some key headlines from these past games and explain what kind of like what I thought about this different stuff. So let's get into the rankings quickly. I'll run through them really quick. Give that, and then I'll go into the different kind of um, games that happened, and I wanted to just break those down. So number one is the Chiefs again. They had moved. Um, I know they only beat the Broncos by six points, but the, the Chiefs' only issue, and I think Colin Cowherd, with how much I don't, I don't necessarily agree with everything he says. I think he says some things that are definitely out of out of context and not necessarily things I would agree upon in sports-wise. But I do agree with the fact that this, the Chiefs' only issue is having a level of urgency against bad teams, but they, they put bad teams away anyway. So the Chiefs are going to stay at one until some team proves me otherwise they're a better football team than them. Number two, the New Orleans Saints. And people are going to sit there and say, why aren't the Steelers number two? Because they're still 11-1. The Saints have been playing a lot better. The Saints' defense has been playing very good. Their offense looks pretty good, even with a guy like Taysom Hill, a quarterback. Now, if you get Drew Brees with just some better accuracy back there, this team could be a Super Bowl championship contender. And I think they're the best team in the NFC, and I think that I'm going to still stick with that. Number three is the Pittsburgh Steelers. I moved the Pittsburgh down from two to three, losing to Washington. They haven't looked good the last couple of games. Buffalo, I think, will be a good telling tale of who, what Pittsburgh really is after a loss. If Pittsburgh beats them, I keep them in that three range. If they don't, they drop probably until five or six on my list. So I so this weekend's very big. I think Pittsburgh's a good team, but they rely too much on Ben Roethlisberger, and he again has been turnover prone. So I think that's going to cause the problems that you'll see with Pittsburgh moving forward. And I've explained this before on a podcast. Pittsburgh is just not quite good enough to beat the Chiefs because I think there's too many holes. The fact that they don't rush the ball anymore. Fact that they rely on Ben Roethlisberger to throw the ball 50 times a game. The fact that Ben Roethlisberger is turnover prone, and all that kind of stuff, and the fact that the receivers are dropping passes all over the place last night—that's a, a cause for concern. So we'll see how they do against Buffalo. Number four is the Green Bay Packers. Green Bay Packers once again did a flawless job, 36-16 win over the Eagles. And look, the Eagles are terrible. We'll all admit that, but Aaron Rodgers did what he's supposed to do. Had a great, you know, over 75% completing percentage through two touchdowns. They scored 30 points. They blew them out. And, you know, I'm not going to get into the whole Eagles situation because I'm kind of sick and tired of people talking about Carson Wentz. I don't think he's that relevant really anymore. And I don't think it's important for me to talk about that. 
Number five, I had the Buffalo Bills. I think they will they can move up with the win against Pittsburgh. And they move up. I think they're going to have them in the top three because I think their defense is getting better. Their offense is getting a lot better too. Josh Allen had an unbelievable night last night for, for 370 yards, over 75% completing percentage, three touchdowns, an unbelievable game for Josh Allen last night. So again, you know, he's, if he's again, that trajectory better and better each week, they are going to be a tough out because of the fact that he's so mobile and they have so many options and it's hard to win in Buffalo. So a lot of people don't get that. It's very hard to win in Buffalo, cold weather, good, you know, tough place to play. So, you know, without fans or not. Number six, I have the Los Angeles Rams. The reason I don't have them in my top five is Jared Goff played fantastic this last week against the Cardinals. And, you know, he, he did a really, really good job. The problem with it is it's against Jared Goff, right? Jared Goff is so inconsistent. One week he looks like he did in the Cardinals, fantastic. And then the next week he looks like a mediocre to below average quarterback. So I don't know what Jared Goff I'm getting during – you know, different by week by week, but they are good enough. They're so good defensively and their running game is very good. And Sean Bay is a good enough coach. They, you have to move them up with that big win. They, they did thump in a sense, the Cardinals. It wasn't really that close of a game. And um, I think that they, they, they did prove a lot. They're, they're going to probably win that division. And that's how I feel about it. Seven is the Seahawks. Seahawks were four for me. Then they dropped with the loss against the Giants. The Seahawks, again, you know, Russell Wilson is, you know, is becoming turnover prone. He does not look as good as he once did when the, the phrase let Russ cook has not been benefiting them very well. And I think that's causing a lot of the issues with the Seahawks. Now, Seahawks are still a really good team. I think they're going to bounce back this week against the Washington football team, but they still have, you know, some big issues and big holes they have to fill um, to not get, you know, destroyed. I mean, they're, they're, they're passing defense. I mean, they lost to Colt McCoy. So, you know, you have to move them down. Eight's the Browns. Um, I think I'm, I can move the Browns up if they continue to win against good teams. I moved them up from 10 to eight because their win against the Titans was really convincing. Um, and, I, you know, they were unbelievable in the first half. Second half, they kind of took their foot off the gas a little bit. But the first, first half, they were unbelievable. If Baker Mayfield plays somewhat consistent, this team could be a, a, a you know a tough out in the playoffs because their running game is the top in the NFL. They have a really really good defense, so all they really need is Baker Mayfield to play a little above average, and I think they could be a really tough out for anyone in the AFC. Number nine, I had the Bucks. Now the Bucks slid a little bit for me because of how well the Browns did. But I think the Bucs are, you know, it's going to be a big thing for them. If they can win these next couple of games, I think they'll be in that nine range. They'll get the six seed probably in the playoffs, five or six, and they'll probably get bounced in the first round. But, they, you know, a lot of talent, but just haven't put it together yet. Um, they can be a tough out, but, I, you know, looking at them more and more this week, I said they were going to be a tough out, but looking at them more and more, I, I, I think that they're going to probably be a one-and-done team in the playoffs. Last team on my list is the Tennessee Titans. Now they they – Tennessee has a lot of potential, but they're so inconsistent. Um, and, and, and that's their defense is the way they come out to play. The first half, they looked horrible. And then in the second half, they come back and make it a really interesting game. And, you know, that, the Browns have had a tendency to let teams kind of get back into games. So, you know, this is not any, like, you know, you know, any news here. But I think that if you look at the Tennessee Titans, they are really dependent on Derrick Henry's success. And I think that the problem is, is Ryan Tannehill, I think, is, is a good quarterback, 
but he's not exceptional to like lift you over the top. I think I, that's just not how I feel about the Tennessee Titans. Now, some things I'm going to take away too. I'm going to talk about the Giants and Seahawks game uh, when we get back on the show, as well as the Washington football team being the Steelers, as well as um, talking about the Patriots just destroying the Los Angeles Chargers. I'll talk about those three games when I come back onto the show. So let's go into the Giants and the Seahawks game from Sunday. 17-12 win by the New York Giants. I am a Giants fan, and I think this is not, not just – I think it's going to be them or Washington who's going to win the division. I think the Giants will win the division because the Giants have found a strategy, and what people don't realize is three – two of the three next games they play are against running kind of quarterbacks. And what do they do against Russell Wilson that I think will bode well for them coming full circle into the playoffs is the fact that they know how to contain the quarterback inside the pocket. Lamar Jackson is not a good pocket passer. When he's in that situation, he's their last in passing in the NFL and or 31st, I think. So second to last. And Kyler Murray likes to get outside the pocket too. And he struggled a lot more recently after having a six and three record. They haven't won a game since. So I think that the Cardinals are a year away. And I think that they're going to have trouble with the Giants. I actually like the Giants in that game because of the Giants defense. And you're getting Daniel Jones back, who's, who's better than Colt McCoy. He's not exceptional yet, but I think he's got potential to get there. He's been playing better. And their running game works. They control the, top, the clock. They play physical football. Joe Judge is a very good coach. I think he's the right hire for the job. When I, I was skeptical at first, at, at first, but I think that they're playing toughness. And the New York, and you know, the fact that he said, like, we're going to play the representation, our team's going to be the representation of the, of the people of New York City. Tough people you know, they're loyal to their team. And I think that, you know, these guys are loyal to their head coach. They're loyal to the organization and they're tough. I mean, you know, this is not an easy out playing against the New York Giants anymore. And I think it's because their defense is top 10 in the NFL. They have a good running. They have had a more established running game week by week. And I think, look, Colt McCoy didn't make any mistakes. As long as the quarterback doesn't make a ton of mistakes, they're in good shape to produce and do good things from here on out. So, I like the Giants to win. And I think they did that, you know, everyone's talking about this being like a lucky game and an upset. It is an upset for sure, but I don't think it's luck. I think the Giants just came out a really good game plan, much like the Patriots did against Justin Herbert. And getting into that game, the Patriots beat the Chargers 45 to nothing. Herbert looked horrible and discombobulated. And I think it's because the effort the team put in was atrocious. There were so many, you know, special teams, touchdowns, mistakes. It was just bad. And I think that if you look at this team, and if you look at the problems, you know, Anthony Lynn, why I, I think he, I don't think he's a bad coach. I don't think he might be the right man for the job. And I don't think it's because, you know, he doesn't know football. I just think like right now the team is struggling with him there. You know, they might need a change. And, you know, you can't go three and nine with Justin Herbert because the way he's playing. And look, Cam Newton's, you know, I think he's an average quarterback right now in the NFL, the way he's playing this year. He has a chance to prove everyone wrong. And I hope he does. But the Patriots are finding ways to win, and that's a credit to Belichick. Belichick, they're six and six right now. Tom Brady's Buccaneers are seven and five with a lot more talent. So that shows you that Bill Belichick's the greatest coach of all time. Whether you like him or not, he is, and it's just it's just how it is. So I think that he's proven a lot, and um, you know I, I think there's a there's a there's a de decent amount of stuff we can go into just about the NFL overall, and I think that let's look at. Um, 
the Steelers and the Red and the Washington football team last night. So the Washington football team did a great job of making Big Ben basically beat them. And you know, they the Steelers, I like I said, Steelers have kind of lost in their identity in a sense, and now they're just going to you know throw the football every single play, abandoning the running game and just all together. I understand they didn't have James Conner there last night, but still they're abandoning the running game. You need a balance offensively. And also the fact of like the Steelers have a great defense, but 17 points is not going to cut it. And I think that, you know, turnovers late and drop passes and not coming out with some sort of an edge the last couple of weeks. Now the Steelers, I think are good enough to come back and fix it up, but they're not going to win a Super Bowl, And that's just, uh, and that's been, and I think my, my reasoning was with Big Ben, it makes a lot of sense. You can't rely on Big Ben to throw the ball 60 times a game to win. Big Ben is an all-time great quarterback. He's a great player, but he has been turnover prone. And I think that last night people saw exactly what the Steelers are, is that they are they are limited in the running game and they're really limited offensively. They don't throw any intermediate passes, short or deep passes. So it's not, they don't have a chance to have a really tough, you know, kind of scouting report from the offensive side. So like the defense can kind of always know where Big Ben's looking to go, either short or deep. He's not going to throw a 10 to 15 yard pass unless desperately. And the, and the receivers dropped a lot of passes last night. So, you know, you have to be able to be a little bit more on your edge. That's kind of how I feel about that. When I come on next, we'll break down a lot of the NBA news that I wanted to break down. And I'm excited to talk about that stuff with you. So stay tuned. Thank you for being patient. And I am excited now to break down a little bit more of the NBA news. So let's go start with LeBron's comment in the Road Tripping podcast. So as you know, in October, Kyrie made some comments basically saying how that this is the first time in his career that he feels like he has a guy that of his equal in the clutch, the guy that he thinks that can make that, you know, a game winning play. And the Richard Jefferson and Allie Clifton, who both did a great job on this podcast, by the way. If you guys don't listen to Road Tripping, I really encourage it. It's a very good podcast. Uh, you know, they, they asked LeBron, how did you feel about the comments? And he said that it wasn't so much that Kyrie thinks that, like, oh, you know, like, LeBron's like, oh, yeah, I'm not going to come back and I'm going to say how, how many game winners I have. Because, like, LeBron's like, I don't need that. But LeBron was more upset because he said that I devoted a lot. Of my, LeBron basically, I'm paraphrasing here, but he said I devoted a lot of my time effort to make sure to do for the betterment of Kyrie Irving and my you know my basketball expertise in the betterment of Kyrie Irving and then this is kind of like in a sense kind of backstab or a you know it unappreciation for what LeBron did for Kyrie and LeBron didn't really like that very much and um you know he handled it as a professional as you know he always can and I think that's all you really can say there and you know it, it, it's look I'm not going to question what, where Kyrie's motivations come from because I don't know that, right? But the comments are, they, they, they don't look good for him, right? And, um, you know, Kyrie can go and, you know, say that these comments aren't directed at anyone. But, like, you know, the way he says things and the way he kind of goes about, like, saying how there's not really going to be a coach this year, where Steve Nash is under immense pressure to win this year. He's under immense pressure. If Brooklyn doesn't get to a finals, he's going to be in trouble. And, you know, that's, that, that's a bit of a problem there. If Kyrie starts saying other stuff during the season, also Kyrie, for example, doesn't want to speak to the media and instead makes a statement. And I, I think that's a little bit, you know, it just doesn't look good. It doesn't, it looks like I, I'm better than you kind of mentality. 
And I'm not saying that's what Kyrie Irving is trying to intend here, but that's just how it looks for other people. And that's kind of the problem. And as a result of that, Kyrie Irving is getting in a worse situation because by just people from the outside looking in because of these comments. Now, if his intention is different, then he has to let people know that because, again, a lot of people are just looking at these different actions he's doing and are just, you know, wondering, like, what is going on, you know, with, with Kyrie. And, you know, I, I, I don't have, you know, silly, like, I don't know what his, you know, I don't know what his intentions or motivations are. But from the outside looking in, from my side looking in, it doesn't look good. These comments don't look good for Kyrie Irving, and these actions just don't look good for him. Now, James Harden, talking to a guy that's not looking good right now, James Harden was at a little baby party at some strip club with no mask on. And, of course, with COVID, you got to be safe, and you got to – like going into a club with no mask on is not, you know, part of the NBA protocol. It's not part of being safe for the virus, right? So let's get that out of the way. But this is more, I think, of just the fact that I don't think he wants to be in Houston. And people are, like, inferring that. Again, he hasn't openly said that, but he – well, I guess he has, he hasn't openly said, but he said it to like his management that has been reported. Right. So like he hasn't went out to the media and said directly to the media said, I want to be traded, but he said it to his management based on sources. Right. So again, he's, he said today that he's open to going to another contender like Philadelphia or someone else other than the Brooklyn Nets. And I think that this is putting Steven Silas in a tough spot because the teams, you know, during a training camp, James Harden now can't go because of the COVID protocols and that, that just, Again, it, it just doesn't look good for James Harden. It doesn't look good in terms of him staying in Houston. And I think that's where I kind of take that. Um, do I think he's going to go to Philadelphia? I, I, I would say that probably one of the better moves that he can make. But I think that let's, let's just see what happens here and, you know, what else transpires, I guess, in a way. So is it, is, is it a big deal? Yeah, it's a kind of a big deal. I mean, you shouldn't go into clubs at this point in time with no masks on, I know people are doing it. I know people are disobeying the rules. I get it that like, you know, no one's perfect, but like, you know, James Harden, they're, they're, the, the NBA gives you certain protocols and you should follow that. I understand you don't want to be in Houston, but it just doesn't look good. I'm not you know telling James Harden what to do with his life necessarily, but I'm saying that like from the outside, like the Kyrie Irving, from the outside looking in, it doesn't look good that he wants to stay in Houston, that he's invested into his team. And I like, I, I think Houston could look be interesting. Supposedly John Wall looks great in training camp. So you know, we'll see what happens in Houston. Doc Rivers also just responded to Paul George, and I wanted to get into that a little bit too. And now I will get into that on the next segment of this podcast. Stay tuned. Welcome back. So let's get into the Doc Rivers situation. So as you know, I talked about this on my podcast last week. Paul George basically wound all the smoke with Matt Barnes and Steven Jackson, which is a great podcast also, and discussed basically his whole situation with the Clippers, saying how Doc Rivers – he didn't call him out by name, but basically said how, you know, he was, he played him a little bit like Ray Allen and JJ Redick when the stats don't really prove that. And also the fact of like the fact that they didn't make adjustments and anything like that. So Doc Rivers comes back and he says, like, if we didn't make adjustments, Tyru was Tyru, Tyron Lou was sitting in the bench next to me, you know, he, he was part of that as well. And also the fact that Doc Rivers said that everyone's account needs to be held accountable for the situation. Doc Rivers handled it like a professional. He handled it correctly, and it shows exactly what I think the problem with the Clippers is. Paul George makes way too many excuses. He's been doing this since 2018, making excuses for why 
you know, he doesn't play well. And Stephanie and accountability, I think he's a little too, again, I think he's a good guy. I think he's got a great heart, but I'm not attacking his personality. I'm attacking the way he's approaching things. And he's, he's doing it by making excuses. And that doesn't look good. It doesn't look good because you, the Clippers have a lot to prove next this season, right? And that, that's, again, it's another outside. From the outside looking in, it just doesn't look very good. Life is about taking accountability at, at points. And with Paul George, he has to take some sort of accountability for the fact that he didn't come up, to, you know, big in big moments and you know and, and he, maybe he'll prove everyone wrong this year maybe it was a shoulder injury right but making excuses is not going to get the job done and you see a guy like Jimmy Butler he's not going out there making excuses right Jimmy Butler is probably coming in next year and I'm like Miami for my opinion I think Miami's going to ha- have a chance to get the I think they're going to be the Eastern Conference Finals again this year because Jimmy Butler is no nonsense he makes he holds his team as account holds himself accountable and he works twice as hard to get there Paul George needs to adopt the same mentality in order for the Clippers to meet their potential and for Tyron Lue to get the maximum amount of um, success from this team. So that's how I kind of feel about the whole Paul George situation. Last thing I want to break down quickly. Well, there's two, actually I'm going to break down two things I just saw. One is LeBron James being open to the idea of load management. And the other one is Russell Westbrook and his, I think, positive influence on the Wizards and why people don't look at Russell Westbrook as a good teammate and why I think that's the problem. So I will talk about that in the next, in the last segment of the show. Stay tuned for that. So let's break down LeBron James being open to load management, right? He wasn't open to it in the past, but I understand it now because I'm like, like I'm not saying he's going to sit there and just blatantly sit, like just not go to practice and do what Kyrie, sorry, Kawhi Leonard did. But, you know, he, he might rest a couple of games here and there because they have a talented group and he's also older. He's not 28 or 29 years old. He's th- he's going to be 36 in December. So LeBron's got to have to take a little bit more care of his body because, and look, I think LeBron will play the majority of the games, but I think that there is a problem with um, load management. I don't like load management personally. I think that, you know, if you're young, you should be able to go play. I understand more from LeBron's end. I'm not saying I'm for it overall, but LeBron, I kind of get the load management portion. He's open to it. He's open to it, but I think LeBron's going to probably try to play as many games as he can. And then if he has to take a rest, he will. But, you know, because he even said he was shocked about how, you know, close the uh, season was starting and everything like that. So I, I, I think that LeBron is, um, is making, you know, whatever. He, he's a smart guy. He understands what, what's best for the team and himself. So he, I think he's, you know, weighing every option right now, right? So, so, you know, before we say, oh, he's definitely doing load management, let's just make sure, let's look at how the games go. Let's take everything a day at a time with these teams and let's let let's let's see how everything goes. If just because something I say is open it to it doesn't necessarily mean he's definitely gonna do it. I think he'll probably rest a game or a couple, a couple games. I don't think he's just gonna be like missing practice and everything like that, like Kawhi Leonard was doing and getting special treatment. So that's just kind of the way I feel about all that kind of different situations that have been unfolding with LeBron James. The last thing I want to break down quickly is Russell Westbrook. And I think his great influence on the Wizards so far, he's showing up to practice two hours before the practice start. And I think that this is showing exactly the teammate that Russell Westbrook is. He's competitive. He's intense. He wants to win. He's a, he's a, he's a positive influence. He makes you work hard, all the kind of stuff. Now I understand he's not great in the playoffs. I understand sometimes he goes a little too hard all the time, but he's a good teammate. Every guy that's played with him the majority of the time, maybe except for KD, but the majority of the guys who played for him, I'm going to say 90%, all think he was like the best teammate they ever had. Paul George has said it. 
Uh, the, the different guys within the Thunder have said it. Um, and I, I think that, you know, it even got, even like James Harden said, like, you know, I love Russell Westbrook, right? They just couldn't mesh their playing styles together. But it, again, it's not because Russell Westbrook is not a good teammate. I think he's going to be great for the Wizards here. I don't think the Wizards are going to be like the best team in the Eastern Conference, like some people think are a top five team. The Wizards will be like, like a seven or eight team in the, in the Eastern Conference. But I think that, you know, he's going to bring a good impact to that team. I think, look, they're going to probably have a I think, with a six or seven seed, actually. That, that's the way I would probably say the Wizards um, going because, you know, I, I like that combo. I think Westbrook's going to demand the best out of that team. I think he's a good teammate. He's also very competitive and wants to win. So that's how I kind of feel about all that stuff. So, like, people who are saying that Russell Westbrook's not a good teammate, I don't think really understand who he really is. Is, is, he, is he hard to watch? Is it something that's hard to watch him in the playoffs? Yes, because I think he makes a lot of mistakes that need to be corrected. But I like the fact that he's taking that great leadership position with a young team and trying to get the best out of these guys in the most positive way and offering advice to a guy like Danny Abija, Abija, sorry, um, from Israel, the draft pick that got the number nine, nine, the ninth pick. And I think that's going to allow them to get to that next level and get the most out of this team because they want to be back in the playoffs. They want to make, you know, make a run. So I think Westbrook can help them do that. And, um, you know, I, I'm really encouraged by what I'm seeing, but it doesn't surprise me. I know what Westbrook is as a teammate. And I think this is good for the Wizards to have a guy who's going to just be there every day working, you know, working his tail off to get this team to the next level. I will be on probably later this week or next week. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. Feel free to check up a couple of clips of this on YouTube and the full episode on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you want to follow the Instagram, it's Shreds Takes Podcasts. Thank you and have a good rest of your Tuesday.